chapter three this morning, Colossians chapter three, we are looking at the family, both the church family, God's family, uh, the family in heaven, that is to be a model for the uh, personal family, and then the family of that we are to be to model to a lost and dying world the redeeming grace of God. And we saw both in Ephesians and in Colossians that Paul sets up some principles, and we even see the term design or fitting. It is fitting to the Lord in verse 18. And we talked uh, last week about the women or about, notice he didn't, we didn't say women and we didn't say men. We said husbands and wives. So we're talking about positions here. We are talking about the first institution God set up on earth, but as far as men and women are concerned, and that is marriage. And he equates marriage, the relationship between a man and a woman, as a model of the relationship between Christ and the church. And the church is to be submissive to Christ. And so, and we said another thing last week was that, um, is that God deals directly with men and, almost, um, and, and indirectly through the church and through, uh, through the Bible and through, the, uh, through uh, men about, um, about women. For instance, uh, we'll see that, uh, that God says, husbands, love your wife, says it uh, both in Colossians and we'll look back in Ephesians chapter five, you wanna put your finger there. But husbands, love your wives. So here's a direct command so that tells us several things about the man. Okay, now last week we looked at one verse, 18, uh, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands. We looked and we defined the word submit, which means of course to arrange under. Uh, and we saw in Ephesians chapter five that we are to submit ourselves to God, all of us, and submit ourselves one to another. So men and women are to submit and to arrange their lives under God's design. And it's not men are the or the leader and the women are to faithfully follow behind. No, that's not what God says. God says there's a sp specific active role that both men and women are to model uh, in their lives and to know their places. And, uh, oh, a woman's place is in the kitchen. Well, where does it say in the Bible? So you look at a, a Proverbs chapter 31, you see uh, a woman, a, a, a virtuous woman has got many skills and she could even be a businesswoman. So we see that uh, uh, a lot of the things that uh, women react to today is that very thing of barefoot and pregnant or all the rest of the terms that people use. And then of course, when you get into submission, there's the men that want to be, they, they don't know what submission means. And so they think that, the, and they don't know what, know what leadership is. Uh, you know, we all know that. There are certain leaders that just make you want to follow them or at least you rely on them and you know that they're there. And then there's other leaders that you know they're in position and all they do is use their authority over you. And we all chafe under those type of leaders. And God is saying to a man, you are not to be that kind of leader. You are not to be the man who, okay, I'm the head of this house, I'm the king of this castle and everybody's gonna follow me. And that's not what God says. We see that two times, and there's more than that, but two times that we've been specifically looking at where God says to the man, as a model of Christ in the church, husbands, love your wife. Love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. 
or husband, love your wife. You know, so we have to make sure that we don't mix our our, uh, our number together. But uh, <clears throat> so we see that this is a direct command. That tells us that love isn't always an emotion. Now, it's interesting that God tells the man to love their wives. The closer it comes to the women, and we've looked at that in Second Peter and other places, where it says uh, that the church and the other women are to teach their and are to teach their younger women how to love their husbands. So here we see that it's an indirect thing for a woman, but she has to have something to respond to. So we see that love is, takes initiative, but love is an, act, is an action as well as an emotion. Many times with a woman responding, it's uh, the emotion, then the action. But with a man, many times God says, you go ahead and do it, and the emotion comes later. And isn't that true a lot of times in life? We go ahead and do what God tells us to do, and then we get the joy later. We go, oh, that was good. You know, that's what we should have done. And so then God tells us how to love. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You suffer long, it's kind, it's, uh, and so forth. And it, uh, it's sacrificial and all those terms that are, are used there. But now, notice he says, husbands, in this passage in Colossians chapter 3, just one verse, 19, as we looked at one verse last week, Verse 18, wives, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Now we have to define that word bitter again. And uh, that's the idea of you don't react negatively to them. You are not to be overbearing with them. It carries the idea of anger. Now we've got to remember the Roman world in which Paul is writing. He's writing to the Colossians. And all these cities, Ephesians, Colossians, all these places had big temples up on a hill in back of the city or whatever. And uh, they would have the various gods that they would worship. These temples were so intertwined in the society that they could serve as hospitals. They could serve as banks. There was one of the biggest banks in the world uh, at the time was in Ephesus at the Temple of Diana. It was a, 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 a business center. And Colossae wasn't far behind. And, of course, it was the entertainment center. Uh, men would have retainers. Uh, one of the greatest things that, I mean, one of the loftiest things in society for a woman, a young girl to be would be a temple prostitute. Isn't it interesting? One of the loftiest things in America is to be a, uh, in America today is to be a Sports Illustrated model or Playboy model or some Hollywood starlet. Isn't it interesting now that we, we throw these type things in there? Uh, I was talking to a man the other day, and uh, we were talking about calendars, and I was needing a calendar. I, for some reason, I didn't pick Al usually brings them in. He brought me several uh, calendars uh, with pictures and so forth. But uh, some guy brought up, you know, yeah, uh, you go into these places, and what does a woman in a bikini have with selling an auto part? <laughs> you know, to, I don't know. You know, but there again, it's just you know how we equate all these different things, and we materialize, and we, and we, and we, de-emotionalize, if you want to call that word, women, and so we make them into material things, and women do it to themselves. And so we see this, this is nothing new under the sun. That was true in Ephesus, it was true in Colossae. A good businessman uh, who could go down and drink a cup of coffee at three o'clock in the afternoon or go to the bar at five o'clock in the afternoon. If he went to the bar in Colossae, it'd probably be the bar there and the temple. 
And then if he was uh, pretty successful, he would have two or three women, let's just say that, on a retainer. So, I mean, he could have all the pleasures that he wanted. Then he goes home and he's got a wife that, of course, makes everything legal and you pass things through your children and all that. And half the world was, at that time, half the Roman world were slaves. So 50% of the men in uh, Rome were, uh, Roman Empire were slaves. So you would have the women and men. So there again, quite possible that you'd have all handmaids and other things there. And if, you're, and if your wife got tired of you, she could pass you on to one of her maids. So you could admit, so they had to start from scratch as far as to teach biblical worldview, biblical morality. Isn't that where we are today? I mean, the average child growing up does not know that one man, one, I mean, the average child now, in fact, in, um, in Chicago, uh, I was listening, I think I told you last week, that athlete that's going, trying to help boys. He said, uh, four out of five boys down in some of those suburbs in um, Chicago don't know who their father are. If they do, then, then he's not around. You got all these uh, athletes now that have baby mamas rather than wives. And one athlete brags that he's got 12 baby mamas, 12 kids by 12 different mothers. Oh, isn't that great? And he's one of the football stars. I think uh, there's a couple of them like that. There. I don't think uh, uh, that's not the guy I'm thinking about, but there's a couple of guys on these Super Bowl teams that are like that. Fortunately, there's other guys that are Christians, you know, so I'm not saying that all the teams are bad. But um, there again, that's the school. I mean, if that's your life, fella, do it. Well, no, uh, I, we don't have the norms where society would frown on that today. There was a time in my generation that, that was frowned on. You didn't treat women that way. And you didn't, you know, if a guy, uh, uh, I have to be careful with this because, you know, even Hitler knew how to pat a baby's bottom. But I listened to a woman one time and I was, and she was talking about old South and she grew up after the, her parents or grandparents and then her parents, they knew a lot about the Civil War. Now this had been back in the 70s. And so she was, her grandparents, her father had fought, her grandfather had fought in the Civil War. And he was, and so, uh, so she was telling me about the things. And I said, well, how, what, what about the KKK? Oh, yeah, I lived in that and it was up the road there. And she said, all you hear about is the bad things that happen. And she said, we, uh, I, you know, I can't go along with that. But I never saw it. The one thing I saw growing up was that if a man neglected his wife, or especially if he beat on her publicly, and they were talking about white guys, uh, then the guys in the white sheet would show up at his door and scare the living daylights out of him about beating on his wife. Now to her, that's the reason she liked the KKK. Now to me, and most of us, you know, whoa, you know, I am not pro-KKK, so let's make sure that we put that on the internet. I, in fact, I think it's a, an anti-Christian organization, Grand Wizard, Dragon, all those terms. That's satanic, so I'm not KKK at all, uh, either um, biblically or socially. I mean, I'm totally against it, but that's the reason some people do think. Oh, but then again, you look at the uh, uh, look at the kids down in those ghettos. I don't agree with the, the gangs. I don't agree with the cartels. Uh, 
But there again, the kids will tell you, this is family. This is where I find my security. This is where I find the people that like me. And of course, that's the way people like Hitler and other people rise to power because we're going to supply all that to you. That's the reason false cults. Oh, um, they, they showed that with uh, the Jim Jones back whenever the Kool-Aid massacre. Uh, they showed how cults will go in and they will get you to uh, talk about how bad your background was and how you were abused, but we love you. And they draw people in by, by the very things that the church should be doing is loving people. And so um, we see that uh, the devil, devil is a good counterfeit. He does what the church does or what the church should be doing. And I'm not saying that we don't do it. I'm just saying that the, the devil knows how to get people. And uh, so we see that, uh, that we're living in a day that is anti-God. And so husbands, love your wives. Uh, and of course, he says to the woman, woman, we'll see over in Ephesians, husbands of women, love your own husbands. Now, what is he saying there? Slave girl, you have to deal with that master who can be overbearing. You have no rights. Well, you're to serve your own husband. And even if you're persecuted for it, you get to the point where you refuse your master. And today, it's, you get to the point where you refuse your boss or your coworker or whatever else. Most of the uh, infidelities come from work relationships today. So husband, wives love your own husbands. And so here we have a situation where uh, the family now is being established in a very hostile environment in a Roman empire that, uh, that is living um, very immorally. So are we not in the same situation today? I mean, some, uh, I remember there was a justice who said you can't, a, a Supreme Court justice, I think Thurgood Marshall, who said you can't legislate morality. That's true. We cannot force a person not to commit adultery or whatever else. But you can, and you can legislate immorality. That's what we're doing today. If you don't go along with us, then you are a phobe. You are taking away my rights, uh, gay rights. All this stuff now is being legislated. You don't even have the authority over your own kids. If we want to change their gender, then we don't even have to tell you. And in the state of Illinois, if you tell a person who's off into perversion and you are, I can do it within the church, but if I get out and get into some organization who wants to tell the, uh, the gays or whatever else that, hey, listen, there's a better way. There's the Lord Jesus and you're, you're destroying your life that way. Then uh, I can be thrown in jail. The, oh, they call that conversion therapy. And they passed laws in Illinois that uh, you cannot practice conversion therapy. I mean, that's legislating immorality, isn't it? And so we say we're living in that day. But um, I, like, I was reading back a few years ago about a man named Whitaker Chambers. It was a fascinating book because Whitaker Chambers was a, uh, a kid from New Jersey. He went to Columbia uh, University and uh, Columbia has been known for its journalism and so forth throughout the years. 
Uh, it's an Ivy League school or Ivy League influence school. But he got tied in at that time with the Communist Party back in the early 20s. And, he, and they would have to meet in Columbia University. They would have to find secret places and had secret cell groups going on because communism was, was not legit in America. And Stalin, of course, was sending Stalin, uh, and they had contacts with him. They would send people to Russia, and they had constant contact with in Russia. He knew people. There was a man named Alger Hiss, who was one of his um, buddies, that passed on communist uh, uh, communist uh, uh, information. They were getting stuff. They were infiltrating our. Uh, universities as well as our government. And a lot of the things, in fact, a communist by the name of Miller was, uh, in fact, the reason that uh, Roosevelt had to get rid of him as vice president was because he had, because of his, of his communist ties and he replaced him with Truman, praise the Lord. I mean, God protected us with that. And although I might not agree with everything Truman did, he was a, he was a halfway decent, if not good president. I love his personality. I hated some of his policies, but uh, you just couldn't help but to love uh, Truman and especially his values uh, with his wife. I mean, one time they tried to set him up uh, because he, they knew he loved uh, Bess. And so uh, in a motel, they kind of set it up where a girl was going to halfway be in his room or she was in his room. And uh, he, they knew he wouldn't do anything. They, but he threw a fit and he nearly, th he nearly fired his whole staff. They learned, don't do that anymore. He loved Bess. And all the letters back and forth about it. So you can't, admit, you can't help but to admire a guy like that. And so, uh, so but, uh, but back in the, the 1927 now, this guy who wrote this book is from an Ivy League school. I think he went to, uh, his name was Tenenhouse. He uh, wrote this. It made a sensation back when it was, came out. I, you can it'll go back and you can look at it. Uh, on the internet, a lot of the interviews, and they'll take you to some of the places where it uh, talks about, um, about Whitaker Chambers and what he did when he got those papers from Alger Hiss and other people. He hid them in a pumpkin out on his farm, and they called them the pumpkin papers. And that was a big uh, part of a big trial in the 1950s. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But, uh, but what happened... Uh, well, let, let me just read you what, what goes on. In, 1920, in June of 1927... Gertrude Hutchison, the wife of Columbia friend of Chambers, separated from her husband and invited Chambers to live with her in a tiny house that she rented in Whitestone, Queens. Chambers stayed for about a year. It was his first party marriage, an extramarital arrangement condoned by the movement since it represented yet another blow against the weakening walls of the bourgeoisie state. This was all the excuse communist bosses needed to change wives as often as one does an overcoat. In the words of an ex-communist, uh, this was in the words of an ex-communist, Benjamin Gitlow. And so now this guy is not a Christian. I, you know, a lot of times when you read books from, you know, non call it treason or whatever, you know their slant they're coming from. But I like to read the historians from the, at least the objective liberals. And this guy's a liberal. In fact, someone said, uh, you must be a real conservative. And boy, he got mad. 
I'm not a conservative, you know, so he did not want to be known as a conservative in some of the things I read. Don't call me a conservative. So here he's writing a book objectively on a man who had a great influence by the name. He's lost to modern history today. But Whitaker Chambers, he goes and he tells about in the 1930s, something happened. Now, from this book, I can't tell exactly what happened because he's not going to credit the Lord. But Whitaker Chambers started seeing, he started seeing people dying mysteriously. He saw people going to Russia and not coming back. All these different things, I mean, not coming back. If they did, they came back in a coffin or never heard of again. All these things. And, but the Lord got a hold of him some way. And I think possibly he got saved. But uh, in the book, it just says that he had a great change of heart and he became an anti-communist. But he had to hide. He had to go to Florida. He had to run for his life for about 10 years because Stalin hitchmen were out there to get him. And this goes on. This was in the 30s. Think what's going on in the, in the, uh, in the 20s or the 1920, 100 years later. Um, the Seth Rich, Riches and all the others that you hear about mysteriously dying. But uh, these are, this was, you know, so, but what happened was he was a brilliant writer. And he later on became an editor for Time Magazine during World War II. But then whenever he started seeing all the inroads that, the, that uh, the communists were having in the government uh, institutions, then uh, he came out against it and turned a guy named Alger Hiss in. And Alger Hiss was one of the men on the staff and one of the, origi- uh, one of the formulators of the United Nations. I mean, Truman and Roosevelt used him as one of the men who helped form the American Emissary or whatever, the staff or whatever, of the United Nations. Well, uh, Whitaker, Whitaker uh, turned him in, and it called, and, but, but the, nobody listened to him, and he almost got fired. At, uh, but no, 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 he didn't. Was, uh, this was Henry Luce. Uh, Okay, I'm, I'm getting some names mixed up, but uh, there again, one of the, uh, the um, uh, editors, one of the head men of uh, Time Magazine loved him. And was, he was very conservative. And Time Magazine at the time was rel- relatively conservative. And, um, but uh, he couldn't, but, and they were allowing him to put a lot of this stuff on. And it's on record, you know, back in the 40s or whatever. But when he turned Alger Hiss in, no, but, but there was a young congressman out in the, uh, California by the name of Richard Nixon who championed the cause and took this thing to, the, to one of the big trials, uh, like the, they had the Watergate trial. Well, well, this is one of those original trials back in 1950. And Alger Hiss was convicted of his communist ties. And later on, Goldsberg, who, the couple who uh, got the... Uh, the secrets to the atom bomb and the B-29 and all that and sent it to Russia, all those people, that was all connected. But the thing about it was that by this time, uh, uh, Hollywood was so infested with communists that they turned hook, line, and sinker against Nixon and others. A lot of the people in the government. And then by this time, 
uh, you weren't needing to hide in Colombia anymore about being a communist. Today, you have to hide about being an American. <laughs> I mean, if you're not a communist, then you have to hide. But uh, back then, but uh, these people hated Nixon. And they swore they would get him. It took them 20 years, 1973, but they got him. You know, <laughs> they got him out and they got, did it on trumped up charges like the, just like they're doing today with other, with other conservatives. So it's interesting to see that these things that the communists have been trying to do, don't take my word for it. Read these liberals who tell you about it. And they'll tell you what the communists were trying to do. You know, sometimes you'll see these things from conservative websites, 10 things that the communists wanted to do back. Well, no, just, I mean, tell, you know, go and read it for yourself about what they want to do. Then don't take these far right ring extremists, uh, and that's what everybody's called who doesn't go the party line these days. But uh, don't uh, just go back and read. And that's the reason I like to read the liberals because they tell you what they're doing. And so... Um, so there again, back 100 years now of influence that we have from our government tearing down the American family because they know that that's one way to, de to tear down the American society is the family. And so again, don't take my word for it. His name is Wicked Whitaker Chambers. Read Sam Tenenhouse. Uh, it's, a, it's a big, thick book, but it's a, a very interesting read. Uh, you remember Alger Hiss, or you were just a child when Alger Hiss was on trial uh, back with, okay, you don't remember him, okay. So even that, I mean, it's, uh, it's lost to American history today. But that was the first sensational Senate trial that was on television. And that was back in the 50s. And, uh, and that was interesting how it, it changed a lot of things. Hollywood went totally liberal. But there were several that pulled out. And uh, like I said, Richard Nixon was one of the head of that trial. And there was another a Hollywood actor who said, I can't go that route. And he was a liberal, but he said, I'm an American. And uh, he pulled out of Hollywood or he became estranged to Hollywood. And that guy's name was Ronald Reagan. So you see a lot of that, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our politics were formed back in the late 40s, early 50s by that one trial. So, but it's interesting, it all revolved around this idea that we're going to tear down the American family. And it started back in the 20s, even if we get our own people to live with one another, then we're going to start spreading that poison through society. And uh, of course, and, uh, even in the 60s, when I, uh, immorality was not, I mean, it was frowned upon. It was still a scandal. If a man ran off with another woman and left his kids behind, it's not, not like that anymore. But uh, we see the the deterioration. And so this is, now I went through all that to say this is the type of world that Colossae and Ephesus were. This was the type of societies that they had. And here you have a guy coming in and saying, men, love your wife, wife, as Christ loved the church. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> She's just a woman. I got several women around here. I just make her the legal one so that I have an offspring. You mean I could only have one woman? What's wrong with you, man? I mean, you realize that I got my needs. And so you can imagine why uh, it turned the world upside down. Wives, love your own husbands. 
You mean you have to tell that boss that uh, you're just not going to go along with them anymore? That slave owner? Uh, that could get you killed. And so you can see how that, that really put an upheaval in society. Here these Christians are coming in here and just, just tearing up everything we're trying to do. And so, I mean, one man, one wife, what are you, some kind of nut? I mean, after all, even the women can have a great time around, all this kind of stuff. You're just trying to inhibit us in our free expression, in our religious rights. And who are you to tell me a man, one, why, why not one man, one man? Or one man, many men, basically. There's no, and that's the one thing about uh, gay relationships, they are not permanent. They are very fractured. And that's, uh, that's one reason lesbians are so emotional because their relationships most of the time do not last. Or if they do, they're multiple relationships. And there's no security in, for a woman in that. And as we said, by God's design, man, a woman finds her security in the man. Or at least in or, uh, the basis of her security in her father and her, her the husband, uh, both physically especially. Even today, the men of the church. I was talking to our men yesterday about how that we've got to make sure that we treat our ladies scripturally. We offer them stability within the church. We've got to be the ones who are faithful. We don't just, uh, you know, whatever. We've got to be the ones who are sensitive to their needs, but to make sure that we maintain our relationships as far as the barriers between, between the relationships. But that's, you know, that's what God says. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. So as a man, I've got to learn how did Christ love the church. But then if I'm to follow Christ, then I've got to make sure that I know how to treat my wife and women around them because I've sworn off to one person. But I've still got relationships with other women. But I have to be careful with that word relationship. I think... You know, and you're in a relationship. No, uh, isn't it interesting how that you have to be careful with all the words today because of the perversion? I mean, uh, when I, I know other ladies. Well, there again, that's a, so you see what, how he, there's, uh, you know, I could identify other ladies, you know, whatever. But you see how hard it is even to talk about it today because of how that has all been so mushed together. But I promised, and, you know, my marriage isn't between two people, it's between three. Because I stood before an almighty God and I told the Lord I would keep her only to myself as long as I lived. And so I owe as much to my covenant to her as I do to him. So help me God. Amen? So there again is I owe my wife, but I owe my God even more. Because I stood before him and all the church and I said, she's the one. That's, so there again, that's exclusive. Husbands, love your wife. That is a direct command, but it's a direct covenant because you did it. So you owe it to her and to the Lord to do it. So the, and so we see that uh, that's why the Bible tells us uh, in Proverbs, a man who uh, is an adulterous man destroys his own soul. Adulterous men are not happy. Hugh Hefner was not a happy man. 
Uh, he tried to be. But the way he treated those women, and you read some of the stuff about some, some's coming out now about that mansion he had and all that, all those, he made them be in at nine o'clock every night. They could not even look at it. He had his own little harem, and it was overbearing. And now all this stuff is coming out about the corruption and the filth and everything else that was in that mansion. Yeah, I don't want to get too deep into it. I just read every once in a while, you know, those little blurbs that they'll have on um, some of the like uh, town hall or whatever. They'll have some little blurb about some woman who's now writing a book on what it was like to be with Hugh Hefner. Big deal. I mean, the poor guy who was a derelict, but he led a whole generation of men down the, down the path of sin. And so we see that uh, God says, husband, I mean, that's a, first of all, it's a command. Command. Love your wife. And it is in the design of it is fitting in the Lord. Wives, notice back in verse 18, love your own husbands, two positions, or submit yourself to your own husbands. Not to the slave owner, but to your husband. Husbands, submit yourselves to your wife. Commit yourself totally to the wife. You say, well, where's the word submission? Turn with me back over to Ephesians chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see, first of all, he's talking about the relationship between Christ and the church and Christ and the marriage. And you're not going to have a strong church unless you have strong marriages. But he tells us, he says uh, um, in verse 17 of, of uh, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, be not unwise. <laughs> that is an interesting word. We have to be careful with it because that word can actually be translated, don't be stupid. <laughs> don't be stupid, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, and giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Now, where's the husband and wife in that yet? None. But we're to submit ourselves one to another, and there's that word submit means arrange under. It means that if you commit yourself to something, you say that you're going to arrange your life around that. If I commit myself to this church, then I mean there are certain expectations this church has of me that I promise I'm going to try to fulfill. If you become a member of this church, then there's a, a system of bylaws. There are certain things that we say, if you can't do it, don't join. If you don't believe it, don't join. Don't come in and try to change us. Now, there are certain things that we want to change, but you're good. we do it within the framework of what we've set up here. And that's the way it is in my home. Uh, I have my kids, now they're grown. If one of them needs to come home, as long as they are not bringing some sin with them, they are welcome and they know that. But they know, don't even ask, if they're going to bring some sin into my home. But at the same time, if they come into my home, then I'm going to do everything I can. Or they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they don't upset the apple cart. If I go into their house, if my wife goes into my daughter's kitchen or my daughter's-in-law kitchen. Where do you want this? Well, I don't usually put it there. I put it here. No, no. You put it where the, where the woman of the house wants it because that's her house. 
And so you're submitting yourself to her. Now, you know, at certain times, it's interesting in dealing with, but this is one of the things that uh, people have. I've told you about the situation where the lady just was so irritated with her son, with her daughter-in-law. And I was saying, well, what really bothers you about it? She doesn't even iron his blue jeans. I'm going, wow. I mean, if that's what irritates you, you I mean, if that's the, if that's the worst thing, then you got a pretty good daughter-in-law. My wife, I don't think, has ever washed, maybe she has, if I had something special, but it's, I can't recall any time that my wife has ever ironed my blue jeans. I don't even wear them anymore. But, you know, there again. Uh, but that, that's not your business because it's her own husband, not you. She has sworn to her, to your, she didn't marry you, she married her husband. So I try to make a very firm rule whenever I'm dealing in marital situations. If it's their house, it's their rules. Now, of course, the husband and wife has to work it out. It's not, this is my house and this is what you're going to do. No, you submit yourselves one to another. As uh, us men like to say, we could either be right or we can be happy. Many times we have to be happy by letting our wives be right. So, <laughs> so you know, there, there's that give and take. Okay, I'm hearing some murmuring up there. I don't know. Up, but <laughs> so uh, again, this is, folks, this is revolutionary. You say, well, my pastor, you've talked about this and we know where you stand on this. I'm talking Maybe I might be talking to the choir, but there's people out on the internet that don't that know don't have the foggiest. Really, I didn't, and because I grew up, my parents got a divorce when I was 14, with immorality. I never really knew a happy home. Uh, there was a lot of overbearing in that. Uh, I was 19 when I gave my life to the Lord, and I can understand now why the Lord beat the devil out of me for 10 years before He let me get married. And then after another 10 years, my wife had to really teach me a lot of things. Now, when I say that, my wife has always followed me, and you know how sweet she is. But she had to put up with an awful lot, let's put it that way. But I loved her, so I was able, willing to learn. And I love it whenever she tells these young couples, like she told a couple back a couple of years ago, it just gets better and better. Well, it must have been pretty bad when it started, but you know, there again. Uh, okay, she's shaking her head. Okay, it wasn't. But, uh, but you know, there again, I'm talking about personal things. Oh, and by the way, she told me last week, and this is true when you talk about family, you can't get outside your own family and your own experiences. And so uh, back when my kids were small, and they would, they would complain, especially when they got to be teenagers, about me using them as an example. So I worked it out. Okay, if I use you as an example, then I'll pay royalties. I'll buy you a hamburger or take you out for pizza or something like that. And so they always they started getting, well, you know, they, they kind of liked that. A lot of times I was so broke I couldn't do it. But, you know, I, I'd let, I'd, they'd mount up and they'd get, they'd get four or five hamburgers at a time. But whatever, you know. But uh, um, that... But then my wife, we were going home last Sunday, and uh, she was telling me, I think I want royalties. Can you imagine my wife out here on a picket line in front of the church saying, you know, better pay the past, you know, better royalties, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, you can't talk about, uh, it's so personal that you can't, you've got to use your own experiences. Does that make sense? And so here, there are certain rules that, are there that the God says, are there husband, own wife, or your husband, love your wife, give yourself totally to her. Not die for her. 
it's, it's harder to live for somebody than it is for to die for somebody. You know? How do I rearrange? How do I upset? And how can I turn those things that she just won't do and she does it so different than I do, turn it into something that that's just one of her quirks that I love about her? How do I turn those things around? Or then she just, I told her over and over again not to do this and not to do it this way. And she does it because that's the way her mother did it. And just gets so upset with her because she just, and I know men who do that. And one of the funniest things I ever heard was uh, a pastor was telling me, he said there was a, a couple that came to him and talked to him and said they were on the verge of divorce. And the reason was because his wife had the house key. And she didn't get home at the time every day from work or from whatever she was doing uh, in order to let him in when he got off work. And they were ready to get a divorce. And the pastor said, have you ever thought about making another key? And it was like a light turned on. I mean, couples can be crazy. And these were intelligent people. They had, you know, they let fancy, fancy cars and everything. But this was back before, you know, but there again, just make another key. You know, things that I'm going to do it this way, and if you don't like it, I don't care. Don't turn, tell me any other way. This way we're going to do it. And that's what happens. Most of the problems we're having today is narcissistic kids going and say, I'm going to do my way. And their song is, I did it. I'm, I'm going to do it my way, or I did it my way. And so both, when you get two people that are going to do it their way, you got problems. So there again, just things that people, you know, and people are getting divorced for the craziest things today because they just have never learned how to love one another. And as we can go into, and boy, we get into that complementarian. If a woman is never told to love her husband, then that means that... Uh, that God, but women are normal, are basically romantic, they come emotionally, then that basically tells you that a man has to prime the pump. He has to give her something to respond to. So he can make, you know, I tell my wife, you love me, just because of the way I am. I'm such a nice, and she'll say, I know it. But, but you know, but, uh, but then again, she's building my ego up too, because sometimes I'm sure she could have, like that old, I like uh, one, I won't name the people, but uh, one lady that we were listening to, very cool, quite esteemed a woman, and her husband, uh, he was quite famous speaker, uh, uh, not a pastor, but a, a Christian leader. And uh, when they were, after 40 years of marriage, 50 years of marriage, uh, she, he said, they were just talking about fears. They were laying in bed. And she said, well, what do you fear most? And he said, my greatest fear is that you'll divorce me. And she thought about it. And she said, no, I have never even thought about divorcing you. Killing you? Yes. But, you know, <laughs> but there again, you know. So there again, my wife, I'm sure um, she's not, not she hadn't thought that way, but I imagine she could have, if she would have really thought about it. But there again, it takes a lot to work things out. Husbands, love your wife. That is a command, not an emotion. You can't work up to it. You go ahead and love her, and the emotion will come later. 
Now you say, wait a minute, why do you say that? Because a lot of times these were contractual marriages where, the, where, these were, uh, where they were worked out by the parents a long time before. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, you know, catch me a catch, uh, make sure that he's, you know, at least handsome and, uh, and all this kind of stuff and all, this, all that song. Well, uh, back then a guy would have to learn how to love a woman he didn't even know. You say, well, that's in the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Well, you say, well, my, I'm sure glad I live in America. Then why do we have so many divorces? Is it any better? Now, of course, I want it to be. I don't want that type of thing. But I sure am glad that there's all kinds of, of things there that we can talk about. One of the things that uh, I made sure, and, I, because, and that is that it is very important that as a husband and as a father, and we'll talk about fathers next week, that uh, my kids look for my blessing. And one of the greatest things, even though my father and I didn't have a close relationship, it mattered a lot to me that he thought the world of my wife or my wife-to-be. And uh, one of the worst things that you can do, now, sometimes you have to do it because of the relationship. If, if uh, you're child is coming home with a married man or whatever, well, that's, you, you got to reject that. Or if they're living in sin, you got to reject that. But one of the things I've done is whoever my child marries, it's within the bounds, and they have, is, boy, I brag on Paul, you made a good decision. I might see some things that I might have changed or whatever, or my wife and I could have thought of somebody better. No, I, I never really act to think that way. But you know, you hear about all those who do. Well, no, once they're married, I give my blessing if it's a godly marriage. But that's all part of later on about, you'll see about better men. Don't be better toward your wife and don't be better toward your children. It's interesting that Roman idea of just might makes right. And God tells the men, hold back guys, learn how to love your wife, learn how to love your children in a way that is not militaristic. Oh boy. Uh, I've gone too long, but uh, I hope this has been at least an eye-opener or something to get started on as far as the basics of life and that it will be a blessing. And of course, um, it's countercultural what I'm saying today. So, but, and I'm sure that I probably said something that could be taken the wrong way. And so be, feel free to, you know, we don't have time to, right now to take any questions, but uh, that I do want to make sure that... Uh, we, we think biblically in these areas. Amen. Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, give us a biblical view of what marriage is about, what men-women relationships are about, what submission is about, as we would give our lives to you, submitting, our, submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Bless you. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.